Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Hello, welcome. In this episode, I'm joined by FA coach developer for Cheshire, Darren Bowles. Darren is one of the most experienced coach educators and coach developers in the country and is also a grassroots coach with an under-16 team in Lancashire. Darren is just an all-round brilliant guy and he and I hosted a webinar for FA education down at St George's Park. If you haven't been involved in one of these before, we normally have around a couple of hundred coaches log on who submit questions based on a theme and a couple of our coach developer team try to answer as many questions based on that topic as they can in an hour's conversation. In this webinar, Darren and I discuss match day, so the before, during and after and how we can make match day a more positive experience for the players in our care. And we try and answer as many questions from the coaches as possible. So enjoy this one with myself and Darren Bowles. Six o'clock, so we will get cracking. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Darren. Good evening, folks. I hope you're well. And um, just some admin and uh, a few housekeeping to start with. Uh, So if you are having any sort of technical problems, we've got our esteemed colleague, Jake Kemp, in the room here. So, uh, Jake, you'll find under the participants, uh, if you've got any technical issues, if the sound's not working, the video's not working, if you, you can fire a message on the chat box, which you can access by the little uh, kind of like, it's like a speech bubble, speech isn't it? Bubble. Yeah. So you click the speech bubble icon, pop uh, a message in the chat box there, preferably to Jake, but I understand it if you just want to put it to everyone and then he'll, he'll deal with that. Um, next part, housekeeping. So, uh, CPD event. So, so this will contribute one hour of CPD on your FA license. That's right. And um, really, uh, there was a question actually, which Darren and I have spent the last few hours trawling through about 250 questions that came in. So thanks for those. Um, there was one question actually, which was asking, uh, is there a limit to how many of these that you can go on? And absolutely not. You can you can do as much CPD that you feel is relevant for you, and you'll be accredited for it on your uh, on your fan fan number and FA license. Um, so yeah, I think we'll get cracking, shall we, Darren? So we'll try. Yeah. Um, so uh, firstly, thanks thanks to all of you for giving up your time, which I'm sure you do up and down the country wherever you're coaching um, and especially thanks if you are uh, well if you were due to be coaching right now and you've chosen to come and sit with myself and Darren um, so yeah uh, we what we've done is we've compiled and we've looked at all the questions that you've sent in and we've kind of clustered them together and we will try somehow in the next 58 minutes to answer as many of them within a kind of professional discussion uh, as we can so the way that we're going to look at it is looking at match day um, in three phases, so before the match, uh, during the match, and, and after the match, and we're going to explore some of that. Now, we've left, I don't know how many of you can see it, some, some subtle messages on the whiteboard behind us there. Um, I guess the, uh, the preface to that is that we don't have the right and wrong answers. So what Darren and I have got is 
I mean, your your coaching experience is many yeah. decades. Yeah. Despite your youthful looks, it's it's quite some time. But uh, I think, like yourself, Jack, what we'll try and do is um, talk around uh, what we consider to be some some good practice that that we've tried to use in our own coaching experiences. Um, so, like yourself, Jack, uh, currently coaching in grassroots under sixteen boys. Um, and I've been coaching that group since they were under nines. So um, built up various different experience over the years uh, working with that group of players that it's not changed too much in terms of uh, the boys that um, I'm coaching, but try and relate everything that we talk around uh, linking training to the match day and, and those three aspects of before, during and after to our experiences. And, and hopefully that will, you know, uh, answer many of the questions mm. that lots of you have posed um, around the around the topic for this evening. Yeah, and just on that, the, some of the questions that came in, um, what we've done is left on the whiteboard there is uh, two words, two big words in coaching, which is it, it depends. And then what I've done is that, that phrase kind of frustrates me a little bit um, because sometimes it's... Are you right there, Joe? Yeah. 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 Sometimes... Uh, it depends is something that I, th- I think sometimes we hide behind. So I would encourage coaches to, yes, use that phrase, but then add another word on. So it might, it depends on if, on who, uh, it depends when, what, where, and how. So um, get used to asking yourself or, uh, you know, saying those words when you're confronted with, with problems in your own coaching. I think, are we all right here? We're having some technical problems. Are we good? Yep. Yep. Cool. Cool. Have we have we just spent the last four minutes talking to nobody? No, no, you're speaking to him. There's a the video. Okay, don't worry about that. Right. Um, so just on that, so some of the questions that came in, the the, the it depends. Uh, there is very few black and white answers to to the questions that have come in, and there's no there's no magic bullets. So, for example, what is the best warm up for X? Uh, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know, and I, and I would encourage coaches to be very careful on attributing cause and effect to things like that. And I'll, and I'll give you a really good example from the weekend. Um, I know of a team that went to Lancashire to play from Liverpool to Lancashire at the weekend to play in a match, and uh, they were stood around. and The kickoff was five to three, and at five to sorry, the kickoff was three o'clock, and at five to three there was no opposition, and so they went and found some people from the facility and said, "Do you know what's going on here?" No opponents there. And then they realised that they were at the wrong venue, had to get in their cars, shoot five minutes down the road, literally run out of the cars with no real preparation or all preparation gone out the window. Lo and behold, they're 4-0 up in the first 10 minutes. Now, is that because of the lack of preparation? Probably not. Does a warm-up always ensure a good start? Probably not. Does a warm-up help? Yeah, might, might well do. But we can't always attribute cause and effect to stuff like that, Darren, eh? And I think it's um, it's dealing with the unpredictable. Um, so, uh, best intentions, you can plan and prepare for the game day, uh, and link that back into um, the previous week's training session. So you've got that um, that common thread that's um, linking your training sessions to the matches, and then the matches to your training sessions. But it's being able to adapt and be versatile and deal with unpredictable um, moments like you just described. Yeah. Yeah, so let, let's dive in then. So before the game, so you, you know, your experience is elite, grassroots, right the way across the ages. Um, what has, 
what has remained consistent and what has changed in terms of the way that you prepare before a game and how far back do you consider preparation before a game? Um, I think um, it has changed as the players have got uh, older and it's also changed uh, as I've got a little bit more understanding and experienced about what matters. Um, but we've always tried to link whatever happens on game day into the previous week's coaching sessions. So if we've been uh, trying to encourage the boys to play in a particular way, uh, looking at a particular aspect of the game, we've always tried to carry that through to the game day. Um, we've always had some sort of routine and I, and I think that's been quite comforting for the players. So when they were... Um, in the foundation phase, and uh, that was the earliest experiences of playing football, our routine was there, but it looked quite different to the routine that we've got now as under-16s. But um, that, that, that routine was certainly helpful for the players. So perhaps if you're working in the foundation phase, it may well be that social warm-up, getting, um, getting the children together and then getting them to play mini-games uh, that lead then into the format of football that you're playing. Now our routine looks a little bit more maybe like what um, you might see adults um, performing if you go and watch professional games or you go and watch non-league games. reason for that is the boys go and watch football mm. and they've almost dictated to us how they would like their pre-match routine to look. Um, we then just ensure that there's a link with what we've been working on Thursday evening, that's when we train. So a practice or a, a, a setup that we've used on the Thursday evening could well be the main part of our warm-up on a Sunday. Right, and I want to reel back to something that you said right at the start. That answer is that um, you've, you've realised that what matters on match day has changed over time. So expand a little bit more on that if you can. Uh, I think acknowledging that the children change as they go through the phases and as they go from um, extremely excitable under sevens through to uh, the under 16s that they now are I think that, that the approach that I've taken and the, and the volunteer coaches that help us is to try and um, shape things around what the players need um, so of late the boys they need to warm up in a particular way and they need to stretch that's not to suggest that we didn't do that in the foundation phase because it was about habit forming. Mm. Um, but there's, there's actually a real f um, specific reasons why we now need to do it in terms of injury prevention. Um, and we want, to, um, we want to ensure that the players are prepared and ready, both physically and um, also from a site perspective. So, um, you know, we're trying to get the players thinking about the game before game day so we do have contact with them in terms of when we might um, share with them who's going to be in the squad and also how we then share with them who's going to be starting the game who's maybe not going to be um, in the starting 11 but it's going to be a sub who's going to be finishing the game so we, we've thought very carefully about when we share that information with them but I guess that might depend on um, Certainly my experience is you, you turn up at the venue and we're lucky if we've got changing facilities. Mm. So it's very much out the car, onto the pitch and get the players active as quickly as possible. Uh, and then having just a sufficient amount of time. 
and, and that varies from situation to situation. You described before having very little time, but sometimes you can have too much time, so just spending um, some time to think about when you want the players to arrive, how you're then going to engage with the parents to help you set up the, um, the pitches uh, and, and have some contact with them. Um, and then how you then fill that time from uh, when they arrive in the car park to the game starting and all the things that kind of get in the way. Yeah, and again, you, that massively depends on the age and stage of you know the players that you you're working with. For sure. With. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you know if we asked the the people who are logged on tonight, you know who who do you coach, what age group, what stage, and if you want to type that in the chat box, then that that's absolutely fine. My guess is we've probably got everyone from under sevens right the way up to non-league adult and everything in between. So yeah, we've got twelves, thirteens. Um, so let, let's go back to training then, Darren. So you, I've I've seen the way that you work with your players. How how have you right the way through the age groups that you've coached? How do you um, start to link training into the match that's coming? Is it just one match? Is it looking further ahead than that? What What are the, some of the things that you're doing consistently in training? That... Okay. There's, there's probably a couple of things there in terms of how we would approach the season. So we try and plan um, with the season in mind in terms of some of the themes and topics that we're going to um, fill the, the Thursday evening coaching sessions with so we work in blocks so what an, an example might be uh, we've been working uh, we've been working on out of possession uh, content specifically looking at defending centrally uh, for the last six weeks um, again 16s under 16s probably not something that you would you bring in at under 7s correct yeah. so um, we've we've recognised that that would be something that we wanted to work on given the level of football that we're playing how long that we've uh, we've known the boys for, and we also linked it into what we were doing pre-season. Um, so, as I say, we spent six weeks working on that particular theme. We've then been taking that into games to see can we put those things into practice. That's not to suggest that we don't uh, also have one eye on other aspects of the game that occur on match day. Um, so. Um, we'll make a note of that but that won't necessarily dominate our thinking um, what's become more apparent as the players have got older is their expectations and what they want to what, what they want to get out of the training and the games mm. and matching our expectations with the players um, I, I guess ultimately we've, we've got different types of games that we play so we've got league games We've got league games against teams that we know some information about. And then we've got um, those games where we're playing against teams and players that we don't because we haven't got that luxury of any match analysis or going to watch the opposition. Um, we play in some cup games. Um, it's fair to say that we've always put more emphasis um, on our cup games. Um, uh, and, and the boys have quite liked that. So, you know, if we play well and we win and we get into the next round, and we've been quite consistent with that through the age groups, mm. um, that's not to suggest that we're not trying to prepare the players to, to go out and do the best and try and win games because that's always been the case. Yeah. But it's getting that balance between developing them for the next, uh, the next season 
um, and, and ultimately developing them so they continue playing in, in, in the game. Yeah, and I guess it's asking yourself that question of um, what role does the game, the match, the match day, what role does that play in the context in which you're coaching? You know, I still remember now, like, like it was yesterday, uh, when I took the under sevens at, at our club and it was the first ever time they pulled on a football kit and it was it was really special to watch actually and the kids were running around um i think it finished 7-4 but some of them thought it was 7-4 to them some thought it was 7-4 to the opposition there was tears of joy there was you heard of tears of sadness it was everything in between um so you you've got you know that to deal with and then right the way up to you know there's some open age coaches in there where there you know there may may well be more at stake on match day and what you know what does that what purpose does that serve and fundamentally what is our role on that to make sure that that, is, that experience is as positive as it can be I guess I, I would say that there's, there's almost a consistency so we've been we've been trying to um, to work in a particular way with the players from that, that first season um, but what we've acknowledged is that things do change um, so that the level of the, the, the level of um, understanding that the boys are now demonstrating um, is testament to what we've been doing for the last X number of seasons um, and, and also um, understanding what motivates the, the boys essentially so why why do they you know come to our club mm. uh, what do they want to do they ultimately they want to play football they want to play the games so the Sunday mornings or the Sunday afternoons is what we're trying to prepare them for the the coaching sessions on a Thursday uh, just help with that preparation so we're trying to run the two as close together as we possibly can and I think um that would be something that I would advocate to all the coaches, whether you're coaching the under sevens, whether you're coaching uh, anything in between that and up to under 18s. You've got to try and ensure that there's a real link between what it is that you're spending your time doing on the weekday evening and how that looks yeah. in the game. And, and the other thing, you've just, you said the word consistency there, and that is, is a big one for me. And are your behaviours consistent between training and match day I've seen I've seen um, a whistle and a kit do some really weird things to some very uh, normal sane people who you know might exhibit one set of behaviours in training and then suddenly when the whistle blows on a match day it's like Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde I still remember the um, you know one of the I guess you, your experiences shape you as a coach, don't they? And I still remember playing adult football, one of the first teams I ever played for. And the coach was, uh, the manager, shall I say, was really supportive in training. And if things were going well on a match, it would generally be that way. But if things were kind of uh, uncertain or nip and tuck, it, well, it, during the match for 90 minutes, it was constant from the sideline scre- like literally screaming instructions and I, I found quite quickly that I, put, I switched off to that now some players might have responded well to it I'm not sure I, I switched off and I found that it was kind of white noise so when I was trying to think about you know what's the sort of coach that I want to be actually that is 
I figured out that for me that's not the sort of coach that I wanted to be. Now you that you know you might be something different, but I guess it's having that conversation with the players to ask, you know, what, what do you want from me? Because um, there were some quite a lot of questions coming in about coach behaviours and do you? Uh, I think it, a lot of them went down the lines of do I say nothing or say loads of instruction? And that's this kind of polarised black and white debate that we tend to find ourselves with a lot of questions where the answer's probably somewhere in the middle. And I know you and I share some, I've had a lot of conversations about game day behaviours, haven't we? Yeah, I've certainly found uh, that perhaps less is more for the lads that I coach. Uh, That's not to suggest that you don't say anything because I think it's important to have that connection with the players on game day. But what what I've learned is that... um, if we're going to demonstrate that we really do trust the players to put into practice whatever it is that we've been covering uh, in the week, we need to allow them the opportunity to do that on game day. So um, I kind of limit what I will share with the players in terms of information, tactics during the game, but we'll concentrate on um, encouragement. Um, That's not to suggest that we don't um, have communication with the players during the game but it is minimal um, and, and ultimately that's taken some time to do that it's also taken quite a lot of convincing in terms of some of the parents because their expectations were coach would be um, very vocal uh, overtly enthusiastic on the touchline um, and I, I, I remember thinking back you know to you know when we were uh, having uh, the, the the meetings with parents to explain that they would be really disappointed if they if they saw me um, mimicking perhaps some of the examples that you see when you watch professional. The parents said this, did they? Um, yeah. Well, I said to them that oh, okay. they would yeah. be disappointed yeah. if they thought if that's that what was going to be, yeah. you know, shouting instructions on and um, and and behaving in that way. <laughs> it's kind of it's great when you can look back. Because you know we we took that approach, and I think we're now uh, in being able to see the uh, the benefits of that approach with the players. Mm. Um, they they can think for themselves. They can work stuff out, uh, but there will be those occasions where actually they do sometimes need your help and need your support, um, and and we are there to give it. Um, the parent education thing. Is difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I still have one or two parents that I will just have some nice, polite reminders just to explain, you know, what we're trying to do in terms of um, developing the players. Um, they're on side, but you just need to remind them every once in a while. Yeah, I think with that, there's um, there's a few things that spring to mind. So, and it it's it's about. There's differences between control and influence. So the only person's behaviour that you can control is your own. Yeah, And I think the parents and the players will take a lead from our behaviour on the touchline. So we better have a grip of what that behaviour is and looks like because we're not very good as coaches of describing accurately our own behaviours. We say we do X, but in reality, we really do Y. And the players are really good at telling us what, what we do. If you want a shock, um, or if you want to you know, learn more about this, I would suggest 
micing yourself up with some headphones and your phone and uh, press record on your voice notes during the game and then listen back to it and, um, and see what, you know, what sort of behaviours or what are, what are you saying and who to. My guess is it will probably largely be instruction and to the players that are nearest to you. So in other words, the left back or the left winger on your side will receive most of the coaching points and they will be mostly instruction. Um, and that, you know, we're all, I guess, if you want to use the word guilty, you know, we, I guess we're all guilty of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, controlling our own behaviour. But then if we're looking to influence parents, and it is, it's, it's an influence thing because we can't control them. And, you know, what I've learned is this, this game bring, can bring out the best and the worst in people. Um, we need to influence them, but we can only influence them if we've got a good relationship with the parents. So it stems from that, that principally that, and with the players, if you've got a good relationship with them, you're more likely to be able to positively influence them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it's important that um, you get that consistency from one season to another in mm. terms of how you go about a your coaching and also that match day experience. Um, you know that consistency breeds a real opportunity to improve and develop, um, and then move things, move things along. Um, I by no means got it right, no. but I think you know I think what I've learned certainly from that first season, um, being very very clear about what we're trying to uh, do in terms of developing the players both in coaching and then what that's going to look like on game day has, has been really important. Yeah, yeah. and thinking about it now, the, the, the parents of the, the boys that I coach, I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other week, they're actually, given the circumstances, they're probably the best set of parents any, anyone could imagine. Um, you know, really, really great people. And I don't think that happens overnight and it doesn't happen by chance. It happens through having a, a good positive relationship with them and I guess um, you know it's their DNA that's running around the pitch and, and we are kind of responsible for how that experience plays out at a, at a weekend don't we and, and we were talking earlier weren't we we were saying that how do you uh, how do you ensure that parents continue to come and watch the, the sons and daughters uh, and, 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 and are there as volunteers and helpers when you get to those upper age groups I think what we've what I've learnt is if if the football is good to watch <laughs> and the parents can see that uh, the children the lads in, in my case are trying to play the game in the right way and it's attractive football they'll come and watch so we've not compromised in terms of the, the, the type of football that we've wanted to encourage the lads to, to embrace. And, you know, I'm, that's probably one of the things that I'm really proud, really proud that we have good attendance from the parents. And it's an easy, um, it's an easy win in terms of getting them to be those volunteers on game day. Mm. So, you know, to, to help um, put up, take down the goals at the end of the game. You know, when we first started, we said, we're there for the players and if you want us to warm them up before the game and do the team talks uh, and give them our uh, full attention we really need parents to be there to help us 
and that's you know that that's always been consistent. Yeah. Um, but I guess you reap what you sow, and um, you know if 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 you want volunteers, then you've you've got to try and get the parents on board, um, because if if they're not happy with what you're doing, then they'll take the, they'll take the sons yeah. and daughters elsewhere. Yeah. Let's. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about parents over the next half an hour or so. But let's. You talked about um, team talks and naming a team. So what? What's what do you do then, Darren? How do you and that, how do you deal with the team with starters? With and you said the word finishes before. So if you want to expand on that a little bit, that would yeah, be great. I think what um, things have changed a little bit these last couple of se- uh, la- la- certainly last season and this season. Um, I think we might have to log you back in there, Darren. What um, what I've certainly found is the 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 lads who I coach uh, the earlier that we can let them know who's involved um, that's helpful for them. So if we're playing on a um, uh, on a Sunday as as we do, we will uh, communicate with the players uh, on a Friday evening. Mm-hmm. So whether that's through Facebook, whether that's we we have an app that we use. Uh, so we'll let the players know who's involved in the squad, uh, and then on game day itself, when everybody arrives, um, once once all the players are there, we'll tell them as early as possible who's going to be starting the game. Why is that? It it gives it gives some of the players time to actually settle themselves. So I know that some some of the some of the lads need to know well in advance um, whether they're playing or not. Mm-hmm. There's others we could probably drop it on them with five minutes to go but what I've learned is collectively it's better to give them that time it also allows them to have conversations with them um, to link things into previous games or what we've been doing in training so what's the process that you go through is it always you that selects the starting lineup? is there any player involvement what's the process that you go through to arrive at the starting team uh, okay great great question um I think we've always tried to ensure that uh, if everybody's fit and everybody's available, we've taken them to the game. Um, if uh, if if players have not been available, that's probably made things a little bit easier because now we we can undertake a certain number of players to the game. Um, I, I would talk with. Uh, the couple of other pe- uh, vol- uh, volunteer parent coaches so we get some sense of um, who's going to be involved who um, who needs to start so we've almost planned it so we, we kind of know who's going to be involved who the substitute's going to be what that's going to be uh, look like in terms of substitutions and tactical changes if you will um, we can never predict the unpredictable. So if somebody gets injured mm. or somebody feels unwell, which certainly happens, um, you've got to be adaptable and make those changes um, sometimes just before kick-off. Uh, but planning it and having some sense of how the, game, how the match day is going to look has certainly been helpful, particularly when, um, when the boys were younger. We were trying to ensure that everybody got a sufficient amount of game time, yeah. and if we were going to play them in different positions, that that was well thought out, mm. uh, and we could, you know, we could um, we could share that with the players. Um, whether they could take that on board when they were younger, um, 
I'm not sure, but certainly as they've got older, they'd like to know um, where the, how they're going to be involved, where they're going to play, yeah. uh, and if we've got any uh, particular tactics for a game. Yeah, I've, I found that working in mini soccer was much easier to kind of allocate the game time so we're, at mini soccer what I've learned recently because I've done some research on um, teenagers attitudes around match day and it's uh, what I find interesting is how um, some of the changes that go on from, from childhood into adolescence and, yeah. and beyond and uh, one of the things that changes quite dramatically is fairness so in childhood so, uh, pre-adolescence children's view of fairness is very much egalitarian so um, if you and I had to split uh, 10 sweets or 10, 10 oranges that we've gone and picked it would be 5 and 5 but then if you ask adolescents how they would want to distribute those it would then become more meritocratic so yep. um, you know who spent more time picking the oranges you or me well you know who worked harder those sort of questions start to get asked yeah. and they, they come into fairness. So in, in, uh, in mini soccer, so it, you would have 40 minutes and I would d- literally do the maths. So uh, the length of the match, 40 minute game, times by the number of squad, posi- squad players that you've got yeah. and then divide that um, over the number of players that were on the pitch and then you've got your, your amount of playing time then. It would be really easy because, well mainly because there were less kind of Injuries and things like that to deal with it at mini soccer. The kids just went on, run around, come off, have a quick break, on you go again. Yeah. I remember you describing them once as like little Duracell bunnies once. Yeah. And then as I've coached more in the teenage years, it's you're having a plan. Um, but I find that working to minimums recently has helped more rather than absolutes. So in principle, everyone will get fifty, you know, half a game, but then. You, I'm, you might allocate or I might allocate the, the rest of the playing time based on uh, things that are within the, the, the young people's control. So it might be um, attendance at training which is, or, or a commitment and consistency. It depends what you value. So we, we did some work with our boys over the last year or so to find out what are the things that are important to, to us as a team. And I use the word us deliberately and, and listen to the language uh, that you use um, when you're talking about your, you know, the team. I'm very wary of, of my team because you don't. It's not. It's not your team. You don't own the players. You, you're one team, and the, the kind of us thing. It's coaches will be very quick to to talk about we and us when the outcome is a positive is a win, and very quick to distance themselves. You can hear this on match of the day as well. Uh, it's they and them when when they lose a game. So uh, trying to be consistent in language for a start, but then um, looking at so we yeah we looked at what what was important to us, and one of the things was uh, commitment, yeah, and and fairness. So and it, this came about by accident, but we actually had a squad that was bigger than the six. We couldn't take sixteen on a match day. Yeah. So the problem I've inadvertently created is that I've got nineteen players and 16 match day squad places so we had the conversation about right well what what is fairness and how are we going to select that squad so actually it turned into a positive so keeping a a, a google sheet for the last whole of last season on who trained and who was available 
and then if everyone's available then I've got to make some difficult decisions but this, those decisions are made easier when I look at right who, who's been training who's been training the most over the season um, and then uh, who's kind of turn is it next to, to have a rest week and yeah. so on so you start to look at working so within the principle of fairness how can you be fair in terms of squad selection and then minutes allocated on the pitch so you're not working with absolute rules but just within principles that guide you I think you've had you've had something similar haven't you yeah pretty much um, we have 18 in the squad we can take um, on uh, on game day uh, 15 so if everybody's fit and available then we have to have those hard decisions and, and we've kind of looked at something similar to yourself in terms of attendance at training so if somebody doesn't attend training uh, and and now we've we, we've we communicate with the kids through um, through social media. Um, if 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 they don't attend training, they can't just expect to be picked for game day on mm. Sunday. Um, by the same token, if they do attend training, then we're looking at their attitude, their effort, um, their commitment, but we're also looking at um, how they fare in the game as well. Um, because I'm mindful that uh, at some point they're going to progress to adult football um, and it's going to look different to perhaps their experience that they've had with us yeah. in grassroots football. So if they've played well in the game, um, we had similar sorts of discussions with the lads. They they felt it was important that they should be rewarded for good performance um, and that that might vary from... Uh, one game to another uh, so they've almost put a tariff on the types of games that we play so for example if we were to play in a cup game a county cup game the boys see that as being the highest tariff of game playing against different opposition uh, more testing opposition and um, that's different to if we play in um, our local league's cup competition mm. uh, and then by the same token we've got league games they'll place a higher tariff on when we play the teams who uh, we feel the strongest teams in our league as opposed to playing against teams on the same level as us or teams that based on previous experience we think that we're ahead of them Um, and then we also intersperse when we're not playing uh, those games we play loads of friendlies and that gives us an opportunity to make sure that perhaps somebody who's not played the week before because they've been injured or unavailable that we give them more game time So over the course of the season, it works really well. Um, perhaps maybe not as sophisticated as yourself of keeping that Google sheet, yeah. but just having some sense of uh, who's pl- you know who's been involved with the games and having a rough idea of pretty much how much how much involvement they're getting. So we work on that minimum yeah. basis. Um, everybody plays on game day unless they get injured. Um, or the unable to continue in the game. Yeah, and that, and I guess the important caveat here is we're talking about you know commitment and consistency and turning up to training, which for a fifteen, sixteen year old is, I dare say, more than within their control. Younger down, children are are much more reliant on their parents. So, I'd say that just a word of caution if we're basing things like squad selection and playing time on turning up to training there could be a huge number of factors that would influence that again it depends on etc etc context is king 
Um, so more about the jury. So you know, you've talked about team selection, um, squad selection. There was a number of questions that came in about uh, during the game and subs and um, yeah. Well, let, let's let's go on that then. What? How do you? What? From your experience, what are some of the good things that you've done or seen in the way that coaches work with and manage the subs? Uh, some players um, need to observe before they play. Uh, so it's quite helpful for them not to start the game. It also allows you the opportunity to um, talk to them, yeah. get them to observe uh, teammates and also observe the opposition. Um, getting them to watch football, yeah. essentially, that's helpful for when they then um, join the game. Um, it, it, it can be really, really helpful for some individuals. Um, Just on that, I find that um, those moments, and I, I, slight aside, in training, those, those one-to-one moments are absolutely golden because you might only see the players for a couple of hours a week. So the, the boys I coach don't know this, but... I I will pick one or two of them who I feel I might need a little one-to-one with on a Wednesday night and just ask them to come and give me a hand to move the goals because I've got them then for a couple of minutes. They can't go anywhere and I can have that little conversation with them. And likewise, the moments where those players are on the sideline, I, I find if you use them well, they can be really good moments of having a um, an undistracted one-to-one discussion with the player. Because, I don't know what your thoughts are, once the whistle blows in a game and as random and chaotic as football, there's very little that we can do to control or influence the result. Yeah. So, it's uh, yeah, I've just diverted you right off course then, Darren, but for I, me, those I, take advantage of the opportunities of having those players on the sideline. Yeah, brings. And, and, and if, if, um, if you've... Uh, decided that you're going to um, have certain players that you introduce into the game it, it could well be that you're going to give them specific things to work on um, without making it too complicated just giving you know just some simple goal setting um, you know and I'm very conscious that we can get so preoccupied with you know individual challenges but for me it's just simple stuff to get the kids to recognize that that's going to help them get better at playing the game. Um, so a, a pretty good example would be we we have two goalkeepers. So we know that um, the they're both going to play uh, a, a part in the game. Uh, deciding who starts the first half uh, and whether they play a full half or whether we ch- make the substitution halfway through the first half and so on and so forth in the second... We've actually thought about that. Um, we've spoken to the lads to find out what they wanted and they, they now prefer to play a full half of 40 minutes because they feel they get a workout. Mm. Um, and it allows you then to engage with um, the second goalkeeper who's coming on at half-time um, in an individual way. Uh, by the same token, we, we, do, uh, we do similar stuff with the outfield players um, but because we've always tried to um, give them a variety of uh, experience in terms of where they've played, I think we're probably at a position now where the lads are certainly comfortable in playing a couple of positions. Mm. 
but they know what they like. So if we um, if we gave complete ownership over to the boys, I think they would pretty much um, put themselves in their preferred position. What we will try and do over the course of the season is play them in a second position. Mm. Some of the lads are a little bit more versatile. We can play them in other positions if people are injured um, or if we need to change things around. And there are those magic moments where you actually learn some stuff about the kids mm. and they learn some things about themselves which isn't planned, it's just unpredictable. And then we use that to our advantage as the season progresses. Yeah, and, and actually it, that claws right back to understanding um, the motivation of the players in your care. So the one consistent thing right the way through the age groups that I, I imagine every coach logging on to this webinar tonight will be that their players play the game to be with their mates, to have fun, to uh, get a good workout and exercise and keep fit and healthy uh, and, and actually enjoy the challenge and enjoy being challenged. And I think that, that's pretty consistent right the, way, right the way through. So I guess it's, you just said something there about those golden moments, framing what success is on match day. Because if the, our only measure of success on the match day is the end result, the outcome, it's extremely fragile and often dependent on so many things that are out of our control and the players' control. You know, footballs are really, like I've already said, the most uh, random, chaotic game on the, on the planet. It's probably one of the reasons why it's the most exciting because most games are decided by one moment. That could be down to a, a, a bounce, a, a decision that goes against. So um, not getting too high, not getting too low, I guess would be, wouldn't be a bad bit of advice. And judging the success of match day on stuff that is within the player's control. It's probably about balance mm. um, and, and, and making sure that you, you get that um, pitched at the right level depending on age, um, ability, motivation, um, expectations of the kids. I mean, I, we always ask, ask, ask the players at the start of the season what they would like to achieve um, and, and, and some of the lads continue to say they want to win the league. So there's that aspirational stuff, aspiring to be the winners of the league. And I'd never take that away from them because that's because they're ambitious mm. uh, and they're the ones that really want to test themselves. And at that age, being part of a, a, a group is really, really important to a teenager. And seeing your social group, in this case a football team, dominant in the hierarchy, i.e. the league table, is also really important to, to teenagers. Yeah. yeah, probably not as important younger <clears throat> down. I, I think the testing moments are where um, things don't go your way. Uh, and you then need some sense of reason to remind the players that they are making progress, they are improving collectively and on an individual basis and that they won't be defined by that one game. Mm. But we'll actually look at um, what we've achieved over the course of the season and ultimately um, how we progress then to the following season. Um, and, and that's certainly worked for us. It sounds very idealistic, but that's been, I guess, informed by what the players um, 
are looking to get out of their experience mm. playing football um, and, and and listening to them. Um, yeah. There's some really good points actually that I'm reading in the in the chat box here, and one there is uh, talking about using the subs to make coaching points. Yep. And and so one of the a lot well a, a real common question that we trawled through beforehand was about half time team talks and actually that that's a really good example of how you can keep the players more involved and also and I think you know I'm certainly guilty of this and have been is we take on so much on a match day if you were to list out all the roles and all the things that need doing if you looked at it you'd be like oh my word like that, that has a lot of things to do how much of that could we actually you know outsource to yeah. the players and I think one of those might be half time if you think about uh, really, you know, in grassroots football, very few of us will have more than five minutes at halftime. It's probably more like three minutes. Um, and so how you use that time is, is really important. And if we can get the players involved and actually encourage some thought and discussion, possibly even better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think um, an approach that we've taken is you almost need to give the players some time just to... Uh, be calm mm. uh, after the, the, the first half or if you're playing in periods, that period of play. Uh, allow them just to settle themselves down, um, have a drink, chat amongst themselves uh, and, and then use the opportunity after to find out what they're thinking. Now, that can be really challenging if you've got a lively group of under sevens. Mm. They might need a little bit more guidance. Um, to log in again. But um, with, with the guys that I'm coaching, um, we we trust we really trust them that they can give some informed comment back. You can also uh, see which characters have got leadership qualities, who the other players will kind of um, listen to and take their lead from, uh, and, and 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 certainly what we've tried to do last season, this season, particularly with the guys who were the subs. Um, this season we've we've got the luxury of dugouts so getting the players to come out of the dugout has been quite an interesting challenge but um, if if you will we've wanted them to lead even if it's just one thing um, around the half-time team talk is one thing that we've kind of you know we've we've done well that's been really obvious and they've wanted to feed that back to the team and then maybe something in terms of what is it that we need to try and pick up on in the second half? So that could be something specific about um, an opposition player that's having impact on the game uh, and how we might be able to deal with that. Or it, it, it might be just to, just to introduce who the, substitutes, who the substitutions are going to be mm. rather than it be, being us. That said, there will be those instances where the players look to us and, and, and I guess what I would... Um, would encourage coaches you know sometimes the players do look look to you as the adult to take the lead and as long as it's well intentioned um, and it's it's for the benefit of, of the players in terms of their experience and uh, helping them in the second half mm. there's nothing wrong with that yeah I've had some funny examples of this in recent years where I've tried to let the players in my care know that you know, I trust you implicitly. So that somebody said that they see a different game to us 
they they do because yeah. they're the ones on the pitch that are playing it. So if we can develop decision makers, if you like, leaders on the pitch who are um, comfortable at making decisions, then let's for me let's go with it. So one of the messages I've said, you know, I trust you guys. If you see something, you need to change things around. Do it. It's your game at the end yeah. of the day. I'm I'm here to serve you guys. So I've put a player on in a in a certain position with the intention of giving that player some exposure to a wide position or a central or defence or midfield. And then I've turned my back and two minutes later, the, the, the players have then shuffled it round to, to what they want. Yeah. So if, you, if you're going to give trust and ownership, you better follow through with it. So I, I can't at that moment then you know, take, that, take that power back yeah. because I've told them that you, know, you can make the decisions, you've got that licence... It depends how far you want to go with this. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, I've, I've had instances where I've said to the players, do you want to sort the team out? Yeah, we'll do it today. And then there's other times where they've come up to me and said, you know, will you sort the team? So it's, it's, it's very rarely like a hard and fast rule for, you know, any blanket group or even within that group over yeah. time. I would encourage the coaches to try and... Um try and work out what approach is going to work for them as for them as an individual coach but also what's going to be best for their players and that's the uniqueness of I've guessed the role of the coach mm. um, and 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 use what limited time that you've got at half time wisely you know so emphasize the positives um, and you know encourage them to do things differently mm. so um, uh, what I mean by that is um, how do you then motivate and challenge the players when they come off if they're, if they're winning the game convincingly mm. as opposed to uh, a situation where they're coming off and they're losing heavily you know the poles apart but the good coach will know how to motivate and keep the players focused so that they are ready to go out if they're winning the game convincingly, but also equally prepared and ready to go out for the second half if it's the opposite. Yeah, and there is some evidence behind this. So it's a, a paper that I read, um, and if people are interested, it, it you can find it on Google Scholar. It's called "Is Winning Everything." So what uh, what these guys did, what the researchers did, was look at the coaching behaviours and comp- of of a number of coaches across some team sports. And then um, they compared those coaching behaviours to win-loss percentages and the attitudes of, of the players. Players were aged 10 to 15. And what was found was that um, players... Uh, oh, sorry. Coaches with a higher win-loss record tended to focus their behaviours on more task, um, task-focused rather than ego-focused. And what I mean by that is... so process of, of learning, of outcome, uh, sorry, process of learning, um, effort, things that are more within the player's control rather than dominating the opposition or being solely focused on um, comparing yourself to others or the outcome. Um, and then the other thing, interesting thing behind this was the, the players were, um, they were attached more to coaching behaviours than, win- than winning. So in other words, players preferred a coach who was uh, more positive in their behaviours than they did winning and losing. So some of the coaches would, you know, in the questions were talking about how, how can I um, 
how can I shift the focus because all the kids want to do is win and that's natural yes yeah. and that is part of the game but actually the players will fo- will will um, uh, I think they'll they prefer a coach who is more positive and displays more positive coaching behaviours than just winning and losing and you know I can attest for that our kids finished last season with a minus 95 goal difference second bottom in the second division but we 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 retain 19 players from under 15 to under 16 yeah so I think that there's again more um, more of a point to again think about your coaching behaviours and what the impact they are what they might have on the players and the environment that you're creating I, I guess I guess it's um, it's so important that um, you're aware of what you're saying and what you're doing and where you're placing the emphasis um, and, and, and I, I guess when you then um, you begin to start to reflect and review what's happened in the game so we, we've kind of looked at before we've looked at during the game but then how do you um, draw a line under the game and uh, I think it's very easy to get um, get caught up in long explanations mm-hmm. about what's just happened, and and, and very often, um, you know, it, it, it's about keeping things really simple and straightforward, focusing on the positives with the players, linking it into um, maybe that uh, aspect of the game that you've been working on in the training sessions that you've then been observing in the game, um, and and getting the kids off getting them on to the next thing that yeah. they're going to do on game day. Um, and, you know, we were chatting earlier, weren't we, about what's the best time then to pick up on um, things that have happened. And it's probably that next coaching session. Yeah. So if if you play on Sunday and your coaching session is on Monday, it's fresh in the mind. So you've got, you know, a pretty quick opportunity. If it's later in the week, Thursday or Friday evening, you've got a bit of time to wait but collect your thoughts and really then concentrate on what yeah. what were the real outcomes from from the weekend's game. Yeah, and I'm I'm guilty of this because it's easy to talk, you know, from a pedestal. But Saturday was in in twenty plus years of coaching. Saturday was probably the worst experience I've ever had on a match day, without going into too many details. And um, we sat in a greasy spoon planning this discussion a couple yeah. of weeks ago and we and I said I we we both think that if we're going to have any sort of um rational thoughts about post game because the game does do some weird and wonderful things to humans sleep on it yeah and and normally I make better decisions after I've slept on an event for at least 2 or 3 days and I didn't and I I kind of let the emotions get the better of me and I'm still honestly it's taken me 3 nights of uh, struggling to get to sleep, still trying to work out how best to deal with this this situation that's arisen. But there is there is huge uh, importance, or there's there's a lot to be said for sleeping on this and really thinking and not getting too high in the highs and not getting too low in the lows and and being a bit more rational post event. Yeah, um, I think gauging what what your team or group of players need. The reality is, if it's young players, foundation phase, um, they're already moving on to the next thing. Um, yeah, and, and that's the thing, especially with the age and stage that you work at, 
you know, it can ruin a, an adult's weekend, and I'll hold my hand up, it definitely ruined mine on Saturday. But um, with, with younger players, certainly, you know, they, they move on very, very, very quickly. And that, that's, it, it's a nice thing, I guess, when, when you're coaching at that age and stage, um, and you've got to be responsive to that. Um, anything else kind of post-match, Darren, that, that you, you, your thoughts or that you do? Increasingly um, so now, uh, cool down yep. and, and just making sure that um, if, if we have got the time and we've got the opportunity to get the boys to cool down yeah. um, and, and they, they actually thank us for it um, on, on a Thursday because I'll ask them, how were you on Sunday afternoon? How were you on Monday? Mm. Um, and, and if we've been able to have a cool down and do some stretching, that's really helpful for them in terms of their physical development. Um, not so much for those coaches that are you know, working with younger players where perhaps you, know, you don't need to do that cool down. Mm. Um, and, and, and I guess you know, some of the coaches out there, they'll probably look to try and involve parents and get the parents to come and listen, uh, particularly if you're giving information about um, what's happening in the week whether um, you know your training um, is happening it's half term this week mm. um, you know with the lads that I coach so I know that um, if if we'd have played on the weekend um, it, it would have been making sure that we know who's attending training who's not mm. there uh, and how things are going to look for the for, for the for the following weekend's game yeah but the post-match stuff can be a really nice opportunity to involve the parents to do that kind of debrief in earshot and just to really highlight some specifics that were good as a collective or as an individual and again basing it on things that are um, perhaps within the player's control I, I would really avoid um, too many comparisons of you know so and so did this therefore you should all be you know it, it, it can be quite a, a fragile thing but looking at specifically picking out stuff that was, you know, I guess within what you value. So if you value something that's, if you value creativity, for example, and a player's tried to do something, but it hasn't quite come off, how do you deal with that? You know, do you, do you praise it? Do you dismiss it? And, and it goes, you, you use the word, you know, golden moments. Those are real golden moments where you can start to shape behaviour and influence the, the parents on the sideline as well. I think that's tricky as as well in in knowing uh, when and how to involve the parents. Mm. Um, on re- on reflection, we I we could probably have done more of that um, in terms of asking the parents to come over to you know where we you know talking to the boys after the game. But it is quite interesting, you know, that that some will come and collect the lads because they want to get off because they've got a younger sibling. That, that, that's got another game in the afternoon and and even if we just spend two or three minutes and they're listening to us sharing some positive feedback about how the team has played that's really helpful mm. but it, the other thing is uh, and one person in the in the questions mentioned about player reflection and I think that if we you know rather than digging too much into it post-match if we can plant some seeds that you know get the players and it won't work with all but some of them might if we plant the right questions with them okay come to training with um, what you thought about x y or z and get the players to start reflecting on their own um, involvement in in the game that might be a good starting point to have a nice you know rational discussion when they come training midweek 
for sure. And I, and I guess it's it, it's almost questioning how simple do you want to keep it? Uh, how much time have you got? Mm. Um, how do you want to help the players? Um, and, and, and as we've been trying to do, we're trying to link the training and the coaching session with the game and the game with the next training and yeah. coaching session. Yeah. Um, so linking it together and uh, keeping it uh, keeping it realistic and meeting the needs of the players, that's the trick. Yeah. Uh, 7.02pm. I noticed that one or two are starting to log off because they've got coaching, which is a good thing. Um, we we tried to answer all 200 plus questions. I guess we'd, it's difficult with the specifics. Um, you know, hopefully the guys that have logged on uh, this evening, I hope you, you've taken something from it. Just to wrap up, Darren, is there anything um, that we've missed or if you, you know, had some kind of summary, um, what might that be? I, I, I think um, planning and, and, and preparing um, for, for the game is critical. It's it's the th- it's the one thing which the players and us as coaches we all look forward to, mm-hmm. um, but definitely plan it, uh, enjoy it, uh, and use it as an opportunity to enthuse uh, the players and the parents, um, and 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 hopefully. Um, just stay calm and behave in the right way. <laughs> Thank you. I should have taken that advice on Saturday. Um, brilliant. Well, look, thanks, thanks everyone for logging on and, and listening in. Um, if if you know if you've got any more questions that we haven't answered, uh, happy to answer them on Twitter. I'm sure you could find us, uh, Darren Bowles and Jack Walton, and then extra content, isn't it? Yeah, just some yeah. extra content. If you are looking for uh, stuff to read, um, if any of you uh, actively use Hive Learning, uh, if you go on um, the FA's coaching community, uh, there's a really great uh, section on there about uh, match day coaching. Loads of contributions from grassroots coaches talking about their experiences. Um, it's worth a look. Uh, there's also um, um, on uh, the uh, FA education yeah. section, uh, of the FA website there's a really uh, neat um, CPD opportunity it's free yeah. it links into a lot of stuff that we've discussed about game day um, and it will you know provide you with you know uh, some some extra CPD yeah so if you um, go to learning.thefa.com that's right yeah, yeah you can uh, you can register for that it's like a little free online module that you can you can work through and what it does is it links to quite a few boot room articles so the boot room is another decent resource with loads of articles around match day yeah that hopefully we've brought to light and and just one last thing in terms of um cpd and a lot of the activity that will be happening out across um the regions and and in counties going forwards there's going to be a range of different uh, cpd workshops that are specifically looking at um subjects topics that are really relevant to the foundation phase and the youth development phase so uh, if uh, if you're not already uh, familiar and connected to your local county fa have a look um, and they will uh, be um, rolled out um, towards the end of this calendar year but certainly into the into the new calendar year and some great stuff that's been put together yeah actually and it's just reminded me just before we go 
Um, there was uh, quite a few questions about goalkeepers and warm-ups. And I, without going into the weeds on these, there is some... Um, I did a really good... We had a really good discussion with a guy called Tim Dittmer, who's one of our national goalkeeping coaches, works with the under-21s, fantastic guy. Uh, that conversation is on the Liverpool FA podcast. And I think about halfway through, Tim gives some really, really good advice of working with goalkeepers and warm-ups for goalkeepers uh, within that. So I'll point you to there. And for anyone that wants to go through this again, we'll, we'll, we've recorded the audio and we'll put that up on the Liverpool FA podcast. So if, if anyone wants to pass this on or listen again. Um, I think, lastly, I know uh, the guys who've logged in will get some feedback for them. So please, please be honest. We've got very, very thick skin. So tell us what you thought was good, bad and ugly about this evening. And it, can, it helps us to make these sort of things better, uh, a better experience for you guys. Yeah. I think that's... That, that- Thanks for listening. Um, really appreciate you giving up an hour of your time. And uh, enjoy your coaching sessions this week. And hopefully we'll get some games on at the weekend if the weather is fair and kind um, in your part of the country. Cheerio. Cheers. Good night. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.